Broadcasting to you live from high atop a national monument in Rapid City, South Dakota, it's the Mount Rushmore Podcast with your hosts, Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And me, Jeff. And we are a top four ranking podcast. And by that, I don't mean that we are uh, ranked in the top four of any podcast. I'm just saying that we rank the top four of any given topic. And this week, the topic is chosen by Michael. And it is what, sir? Revenge. Oh, my God. Why did you chose this one? Well, I think that revenge in itself is a pretty universal concept. I think everybody can relate to it. I think everyone has been wronged to some degree. And at, at least in part, even the smallest sort of, you know, slights, you kind of contemplate, how can I get this person back? Oh, yeah. What can I do to, oh, yeah. to get them? And, um, you know, while thinking about this topic, um, I stumbled upon a quote from a 17th century poet, George Herbert, who said, living well is the best revenge. And I'd like to say, uh, no, no, um, revenge, much better. Just straight, <laughs> just straight up revenge, uh, typeset in Times New Roman, yeah. probably all capital letters, right? Usually revenge are period, yeah. sometimes an exclamation point mm-hmm. and like, you know, flat out revenge. Great. Yeah. It's great. And you, I start with venge. Then I do it again, mm-hmm. and that's revenge. Yeah, and you venge first. You, if you don't venge first, you can't yeah, revenge. Yeah, that's a Pink Floyd song, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then at the end of the day, you devenge, yeah. and you just got to... That's a Devo song. <laughs> when, uh, outside of the 17th century, could a poet say that they lived well? I hey, wonder. That's, that's the thing. It's like you got some, I assume, some white guy living in like the countryside who has probably always lived well. Mm-hmm. There was never a point when he didn't live well. Yeah. To the point where he's like maybe successful as a poet. Mm-hmm. I what what mm. what what wrongs have you possibly yeah. who, uh, who do you need to live yeah. well against? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay, Michael chose it, so Richard, exact your revenge. I will exact my revenge on Michael for picking this topic. Like a pound of I will flush. have this I will have this revenge. <laughs> this kind of also continues our like streak of just like Man, we're getting dark. Yeah, this it's, is yours for a change. It's usually surprising. I'm the one who's I like know, usually it's like Mount Rushmore, destruction, yeah. pound puppies and unicorns. Exactly. Which, put that on, hmm. that on the list. Typing it up. All right, so my first choice is Dave Carroll. He is a lead singer of a Canadian folk pop group called Sons of Maxwell. And if you never heard of them, that's okay. They weren't super successful before this incident happened. Um, they were beginning a tour, and I'm quoting from HowStuffWorks.com, their tour of Nebraska in 2008, which I call bullshit on right there. Nobody tours Nebraska. Yeah, it's Lincoln, you, it's Omaha. You you tour through Nebraska. Yeah. You okay. Your car accidentally Nebraska. breaks down in Nebraska, and you start playing, hoping that someone comes mm-hmm. along to give to, you some so enough gas money, money to fix your car. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, that's what happens. Um, but they were traveling from Canada to to. Nebraska to start their, let's call it their U.S. tour. And someone noticed on the plane, hey, those handlers are throwing those, they're throwing guitars around. And uh, those are stage guitars. They can only be thrown on stage. Exactly. Dave Carroll looks over out of his window and notices, in fact, the handlers are taking his guitars and just tossing them into the uh, oh, wow. into the hold. Yeah. And sure enough, when he gets to uh, Nebraska, finds out his $3,500 Taylor guitar had been basically shattered. Oh, wow. Um, goes through, has nine months of 
back and forth with United trying to get this taken care of. And mm-hmm. they eventually say, well, you didn't file the claim within the first 24 hours, so we can't do anything for you. Oh, geez. So he decides to get his revenge by writing a song called United Breaks Guitars. <laughs> <laughs> which tells the entire story of how he had his guitar and how the baggage handlers broke it and how they that uh, United wouldn't pay for it. It's basically it's a modern day Bob Dylan song. If Bob yeah. Dylan was like a cranky consumer activist, mm-hmm. like one of those guys on your local news who, oh yeah, yeah, United is breaking cars, yeah, breaking stuff. Tune in at eleven. Hotels offer thirty nine ninety nine rates, but do they really follow through on those rates? Yeah. So if, yeah. if that was Dylan doing, if yeah. that was Dylan. And yeah. It, was that Dylan doing? Were you doing Dylan? Yeah, it was Gary Dylan. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Good. I'm glad we're thinking the same. Okay. Person. <laughs> um, that's basically what this song would be, and it's it's. Really funny, and he wound up getting uh, about four million views in the first month. And now the story goes that United Uh-oh. may have Mm-mm. may have actually it may have actually impacted their uh, stock value. Oh wow! It's a little now the numbers are a little fudgy on this, so I'm not sure how much mm-hmm. that's actually true or yeah. not. But it definitely created like this huge embarrassment for United, and thank God they got past that and haven't had anything that has embarrassed. <laughs> no, <them. laughs> what, what year was Online this? Lately, uh, two thousand eight. That is like just right before. I guess complaining on Twitter is like the only way to get really to get things done these days. Like going through customer services with any large company is apparently really terrible. Yes. But just like just the smallest inclination of like complaining publicly, like their online Twitter reps usually are like right on it because they, they know that that can potentially go viral. And that is the thing that scares them most of all is that outcry. Yeah. As someone who does marketing for a living and monitors my company's social media sites, Anytime someone complains about something, we have to get right on it with this, you know, preset answer and then forward it to the right people and make sure this is taken care of right away. And it doesn't matter if the person is. You've got to go into your folder that has about it. the right number of like, what you're talking about, Will, is gifts yes. that you can <laughs> that you can just throw out real quickly and like play it off and be like, okay, what, what's the next gift? I, I, I have like, like a good uh, uh, a Star Wars a prequel gift. Okay, let's get that out there. And then we're, there are we're no fine. good Star Wars prequels. So I refuse <laughs> to accept that. Does it? Does the fact that the revenge was musical in nature uh, exhilarate you as a uh, lover of music and and also kind of um, un- underground, underappreciated hipster music as well? Yeah, I don't. I, I never heard this band before, and I haven't heard of them since. Yeah. Um. So I can't. I don't know. I can't really speak to that. Too much. This... I mean, they're kind of like. It kind of sounds very Mumford and Sonsy. Mm-hmm. If Mumford and Sons had a tangible sense of humor yeah they hate southwest i've heard heard their song yeah it's not good does do you one thing as a reader of the huff po it seems like there are every day they post so and so person does a takedown on twitter of such and such politician or celebutard and i 100 percent guarantee that donald trump is never reading any of those takedown tweets sure it's published you could have stopped at reading. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. That's true. Um, but I love I love the fact that um, these guys didn't just kind of mum. Do either of you have other musical revenge? No, I, that, that's no. my only okay. musical one. Uh, in the Nile Rodgers autobiography, he talks about the origins of the ah, uh, freak out, of Le Freak. Okay. Say chic. And as being um, 
uh, one night they were invited to by Grace Jones to meet them at Studio 54. Grace Jones tells Nile Rogers and Bernard Edwards, come to the back door, knock at the back door, tell them you're with me, and they'll let you in. They go to the back door, they knock, they say, we're with Grace Jones, they're told promptly to go to hell. And they're angry, so they go to the studio and they write a song that they, the lyrics are, aw, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they record it, and then at last minute they decide, well, we can't, we can't use these lyrics. <laughs> we'll have to use something else. And Le Freak becomes like an international number one. Sensation, yeah. And uh, it is also perceived, it is beloved in other countries uh, for different reasons. One, because it uh, has some French lyrics. And uh, so in Europe, it's so kind it's of beloved. Chic. That's Say chic, word. yeah. And in Africa, they perceived it to be Le Afrique. Say chic. Oh wow! So they they a lot of people adopted that song and loved it for different reasons. So I just love and Bernard now just has a lot of stories about competitive jealousy and envy, and wanting to get kind of artistic revenge on somebody. Giorgio Moroder had electronic music um, that had this really pulsing arpeggiated kind of. Uh, rhythms to it and now Rogers didn't know that was a synth- synthesizer he thought this guy's really great at playing these synth- 16th notes so <laughs> let me go so he learned how to play on the guitar really well and then um, added that technique to his tool belt but I- I'm just fascinated when revenge causes somebody to actually grow <laughs> as a person well and I think this is interesting because he wound up writing three different songs this is a tr- they wound up making a trilogy of United Breaks Sons of Maxwell. Songs. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and you want... said this doesn't have anything to do with the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, <laughs> United goes light on the peanuts. Um, yeah. They got more and more like just sort of nitty It will never get you, give you the whole can of ginger ale. <laughs> and he wound up getting a book out of this called United Breaks Guitars, The Powers of Power of One Voice in the Age of Social Media. That's great. And he now gives speeches about how to uh, get your customer service complaints heard. So this guy has turned this, you know, United being idiots and breaking his guitar into like a total cottage industry. That's so cool. to that, I say bravo. Bravo. God, that is such a foot in the door moment of just like, okay, we, I mean, like just kind of like a middling, mediocre band or whatever. I don't, I don't know what their music is like at all. So, but, and then to be like, this is my opportunity to, where can I take this? Let's t- how can I go? How, how can, can I, I? How can I milk it so mm-hmm. completely dry? I'm super excited for when I take my trip to Australia in a couple of months mm. for Air Canada to break my computer, uh-huh. <laughs> so I can write an anti-Air Canada song, mm. and then I can become big in Canada. Nice, Winfield. What do you got? Uh, we mentioned his name earlier. Uh, it's the Donald entire Trump? the entire Trump presidency. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Where I, I said that as a joke, by the way, but go go on. Yeah, it is one. Big old revenge plot against Barack Obama, who had made fun of him at the 2011 White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah. So what was what did he say about him? Well, leading up to it, you know, Trump is this 70-something-year-old white Fox News piece of shit. Piece of shit. Yeah. All he does is just watch it and then get riled up, and he's been doing that for years. Yeah. And that led to... You know, his years and years and years of conspiracy theory birtherism against Barack Obama. And uh, that kind of came to a head where he was, like, pushing him and pushing him to get his, like, birth certificate released. And eventually he did. And at the 2011 White House Correspondents' Dinner, Trump was there somehow. I don't know why 
let's not in- invite this guy. I don't know. But it seems like they did to kind of run him down a little bit. Yeah, if you're going to take a jab at a guy, have him sit- seat- seated right there so you can get the camera on his And wreck. so the writers just kind of wrote all, you know, all these jokes, basically making fun of him and taking him down about the... Uh, what was the show? It was uh, The Apprentice and blah, 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 blah. And you could, you know, from then on, it was like the seeds of revenge were planted. And his entire administration has been about dismantling things that Obama had built up over the years and, you know, reversing policies and being horribly racist. And maybe he seems like generationally back he was racist. Yeah. Just through his you know, parents. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a revenge presidency. This Mm -hmm. isn't one that's built on building new ideas. It's not built on doing things that help people. It's built on stroking his own ego to say that I beat the person that was supposed to succeed this person and keep his ideas in place. He's like the rich kid neighbor who's trying to get Pee Wee Herman's bike. Yeah. 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 So Uh, he's, I mean, and it's just like, it's just so icky and it doesn't feel like there's anything more to it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, there's no actual policy other than how can he embarrass someone. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we don't have to talk about this very long, but it's just so, <laughs> pro- I think it, it's unfortunately just so dominant in our mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. I, I would love, I would love whoever's running for president to, to, I want their campaign to be, if I'm president, you don't have to wake up checking Twitter to see if we're at war. You don't, I, I will be a boring president. I would vote. Is that for, your pledge? I would. That's a good campaign bill yeah. right now. Actually. I will vote for whoever is going to be the boringest president because that is exciting to me mm-hmm. that I don't have to think about. Yeah. It's not a revenge addled nonsense person. Yeah. Carnival Barker of a. Yeah guy very real very real very all-encompassing uh what do you got richard for your all second? right my second one is the movie the shawshank redemption why shawshank I, I i love me a good revenge story especially one that involves a long con yeah hmm. literally con in this point uh, in this case but yeah I, I i think this is one of those classic tales of someone who's been wronged and finds a way to get revenge on the system if not necessarily on what kind of his own personal situation. Uh-huh. He definitely, the character of... Um, Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne definitely had a long time to ponder his... I think that's what helps, is like, it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment revenge. It was, he was in there for a few years surviving, and then he kind of started thinking and had the time to think and plot and plan out his revenge, no matter how long, because he, he was there for life. Right. He could plan his revenge for a long time. And he did. Yeah. Uh, to the warden, this by setting up uh, the warden with this way to basically cook the books and uh, the separate ledger of uh, what money he actually was making versus um, what he was reporting. And spent, you know, I, I think in the book it's a longer time. I think in the book it's something like thirty years. Oh, is it really? Like yeah. that. I don't think it's quite that long in the movie because they didn't want to age people or whatever. Um, Nineteen years, thirty years—it's all the same. I guess. Well, hey, if you're if you're the one doing the time in the Huskow, yeah, I guess it doesn't mm-hmm. make as much difference. But you know, and winds up with not just planning his escape. I mean, it'd be one thing 
to be in. It's one thing the fact that he spent thirty years or however long, you know, meticulously picking his way out mm-hmm. of prison and mm-hmm. building these tunnels and coming up with this plan to to escape. But the fact that he also came up with this plan to get his revenge on yeah. this like awful, horrible warden and use that revenge to be able to fund himself to go off, spoiler alert, go off to Mexico and and uh, have Red join him and they could live their platonic relationship happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the... I remember one thing that I felt unsatisfied by at the end was they that... They didn't have sex? Yes. Okay. Uh what happens to the warden? Does he kill himself? Or yeah, he kills himself yeah. because the cops are coming to take him away yeah. because Andy had had mailed them the actual ledgers that showed all of the mm-hmm. cooking of the books. He also had uh, sent it to like the newspapers first. Right. He sent like a copy of everything that was happening to the newspapers. So they took down the the head prison guard. I can't remember what his name Hadley. was. Hadley. Hadley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They took him down, and then as they were coming to to get Norton, he was, he put a bullet in his head. Yeah. yeah. I wanted the I wanted to see the warden in prison. I remember being peeved that he he, he took the coward's there was, way out. There was no there was no like final scene of him like in Shawshank. Yeah, where he would get. Well, I think shut it was. Away. I think it was probably truer to the uh, character of him being yeah. kind of a sniveling kind of worm yeah. that yeah. he wouldn't have the guts to uh, actually face up his punishment. Mm-hmm. That's a movie that really would have benefited too. You know what that came out in ninety seven, ninety eight. It was earlier than that, I 96, think. 96, 95? 95, 94, that something like that. That would have benefited from like a over-the-credits rap song. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> they just summed up. They kind of rehashed everything that we just yeah. saw and summed it up. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure you could rank Shawshank with a lot of things. Yeah. Shank, Shank. Bank, Stank. Oh, my God. Hank. Mm-hmm. We're all, I, we'll, we'll write this one next. All right. So do you think Tim Robbins could have We'll done see it? if we can get Dave Carroll to, to write, write this yeah. one. To write the Shawshank rap. They, they can go over the credits. Except it's all about United Airlines. <laughs> Dave, get over it. <laughs> Jeez, uh, I love it. Uh, Winfield, what was your second? Lorena Bobbitt. That's a pretty good revenge. Oh, wow. That's that's some revenge served hot. 19, that's piping hot. 1993. This is as, as hot a revenge as you can get. Although, like... Like, the, his, the things that came after were just kind of gross and icky. I mean... So Lorena Bobbitt um, was married to someone named John Wayne Bobbitt, and he was apparently very emotionally and physically abusive towards her. And one night, uh, she claims that uh, he raped her or uh, thereabouts. The details of it are often kind of murky on whether it was consensual or not. And um, afterwards, she went to the scissor, uh, went to the kitchen, and got a knife, and um, cut off his penis. And then, and then, and then, that's not the end of the story. And oh, then, no. she went driving, and threw it into the side of the road, like into the woods. And that is just uh, amazing. And no one on talk shows ever talked about it. <laughs> Or on mor- morning radio shows. There weren't a lot of jokes. Nobody made any jokes That about. is what the unfortunate development that came after it. She got this immediate sense of revenge, and then the resulting uh, uh, media that came out of it was yeah. jokes, was Tonight Show, Barb's, and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of Jay Leno, yeah. Lorena Bobbitt jokes. And her husband, um, one, she was not... She was ultimately not convicted of uh, 
cutting off his of, well of like um the attack they said it was like she was ruled out by means of like a form of like insanity that she had suffered so much abuse that she really wasn't thinking what she was doing um and he ultimately was uh not convicted of spousal abuse because she had sued him or something because there wasn't there just wasn't enough evidence uh for him as well but what happened was this guy went on to like star in porno films they were called uh oh god john wayne bobbitt uncut was one called franken penis or something? the other one was called franken penis oh, i'm so embarrassed that i knew that sorry <laughs> but like that i mean he, okay ultimately those were the three wise what, men what, brought those gifts that's right, that's right. <laughs> see these are the exact type of jokes that like jay leno would, sorry dude <laughs> jay leno would be making uh after this like poor woman's abuse and um, ultimately he had it surgically reattached and it went back to being a functioning uh, member again. And like, he went on to have like this career that kind of just tried to take advantage mm-hmm. of the stuff. Of, yeah. Like we we're just talking about this guy, Dave Carroll who went right. on to have his revenge and exploit the awful thing that happened to him. But it ultimately shed a light on how to, uh, deal with companies and how a person can kind of get screwed over by big corporations. This guy just went on to like uh, have a band called the, um, let me look it up real quick, the Severed Parts to help pay his medical and legal bills. Oh, fuck this guy. Like, and just continuously, like he continues, like. He was on Celebrity Boxing, wasn't he? He was also on like WWF and he uh, uh, teamed up or was in a segment with like Val Venus, who was the. Um, Cafe, uh, porn star, porn star wrestler, mm-hmm. and like this guy was just like a piece of trash, and it's a shame that he benefited in some way after all of this, and like Lorena Bobbitt went on to just kind of um, start opening uh, a charity that kind of benefited abused women, mm-hmm. yeah. and she kind of made something positive out of it, but mm-hmm. her immediate revenge ultimately resulted in. Something that seemed like far worse for her than for oh. him. I think he's just a, he's probably just a huge piece of shit. Yeah. As a human, it seems, yeah. reading some of the stories. Do you think that is reflective of our society when it comes to males who are, males who are attacked um, can, within the world that we've created, develop a, a, a source of empathy from every other male, whether they're a piece of shit or not? Uh, I think that the that there is a as soon as someone amongst these guys become vulnerable, I think there is a wide circle that surrounds them and supports them because they don't ever want to be vulnerable themselves. Mm. Uh. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I got to think about that for a second. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't you think about it during our halftime? We are at our halftime, and at this point, we want to invite you to uh, go on to our social platforms and share with us the suggestions you have for future episodes of the Mount Rushmore podcast. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Just search Mount Rushmore podcast, and you'll find us. We have taken suggestions from listeners that have turned into episodes, and sometimes the listeners either guest or make cameos on those episodes. So if that's something you're interested in, 
please give us your suggestions. This is your chance to be on a podcast because there's no other way you can no. get a podcast yeah. going on your own. Yeah. It's how, so difficult. How else are you going to break into the podverse right. other than through us? The You can get revenge on all those people who made fun of you. Mm. For on, their, be, on their podcast. On their podcast. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> That's right. Just come on our podcast. And just make fun of those fools. Do all podcasts exist in the same sort of universe? The way that like the Marvel characters oh, exist in the, there? the MCU or like, or like the like, USQ universe or like that thing? that dark universe that yeah. kind of went nowhere that with went, <laughs> Tom Cruise. And, <laughs> yeah. What's is ours in? Is ours in the same as like Gilbert Gottfried's podcast or something like that? I wonder. Well, you could let us know. Another thing to ponder. Yeah, let us know what universe, what podverse our podcast is in by leaving comments on every episode of uh, our podcast. And you can download every episode by going to iTunes, going to Stitcher, by going to iHeartRadio. And you can also leave a review as after you let us know what universe it belongs in. And you can support podcasting in general by supporting this podcast. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Oh, I love that podcast. Those people are amazing. They're fun. They're They're fun. They're fun. So normally on these episodes, I, well, often on these episodes, I rack my brain to try to psychoanalyze uh, the mindset of Richard or Michael, and this is so easy this time because all they're th- all they're lusting after and drooling over is revenge. So I don't I don't even need to <laughs> that's really. That's the topic. The, oh, that's the topic. That's actually the topic. Oh God. That's, oh. The subtext has become text. Oh, okay. Jeff. Okay, I thought this was uh, uh, spring fling. I thought that was a spring fling. Was that ever a topic? Ah, pay attention. Oh, sorry guys. Okay, spring fling is that's uh, a pretty good topic though. Type yeah. type that one down. Yeah. You know, not rush more spring break. Ain't bad. That's pretty awesome. Ain't bad. Matt Rushmore of just like, spring break! (laughs) Okay, so we recorded this one in Daytona Beach. (laughs) (laughs) My spring break was just, it's son of a lawnmower, me mowing lawns. We have to go to Daytona Beach and build a little Mount Rushmore sandcastle. Oh, that'd be radical. us with our sand pails. Hey, boys, what are you doing? (laughs) Jeff's putting zinc on our nose. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be like the copper drone baby. Oh, or just a little booty hanging out as a, as a terrier is trying to chew off your swimsuit. Did I not? Did I talk about the wrong thing there? No, no, <laughs> oh, you're God. totally, Paying totally on brand. Yeah, that image came too easy for me. Okay, uh, this is the Mount Rushmore of Revenge, and Richard is going to let us know his third. Okay, my third is my second movie on this list, and it is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Oh wow, never seen this one. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, directed by Peter Greenaway. Uh, starring Helen Mirren and Michael Gambon. Uh, Michael Gambon, best known being a really not very good Dumbledore. Yeah. Allegedly. You know what? I prefer the Michael Gambon Dumbledore to the other one. That's a hot take. To the Harris. The Richard Harris To one. the Richard Harris one. Uh, I wish... God, we jumped to Harry Potter so quickly. My issue with his is that he wasn't zany enough. Sure. I think Dumbledore should be crazy. I think he should appear crazy to all of the students. I think that he should have been Ian McKellen. 
mm. dressed up like Gandalf mm. and acting like Gandalf because mm. that's how I picture him in the book mm-hmm. is basically Sir mm. Ian McKellen. Yeah, he needs to say more sillier things. Like, Richard Harris was too stuffy. Like he needs some sort of, does he need like a wacky punch, like like catchphrase or something? Yeah. Here comes the cheese. Okay, <laughs> I've, got a, I've, got a better, I've got a better Dumbledore. Yeah. Helen Mirren as Dumbledore, just in makeup. I would accept just that. Just put a beard on her. She's fine. I she would can ex- do it. I would accept that Done. in a heartbeat. Done. Um, so casted for whenever it comes out on Netflix. When they like do a, the 10 part. Uh, yeah. Uh, seven, 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 seven series. Something, 70 the episodes. It, like the it version of that. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, this movie, I'm not going to rehash the entire plot because you should see it yourself. But there will be spoilers in this so we can get to the revenge part. Uh, Michael Gambon plays Albert, who is a uh, like a. Violent, is he the cook or is he the thief? He's the thief. Okay. He's this violent kind of gangster. uh crime lord who has bought and has basically taken over this high-class French restaurant. And he comes in every night with his goons, including Tim Roth, and basically just, just wreck the place and act like complete like Tim, buffoons. And... Tim Roth plays a good goon. He does. He was really good in Rob Roy as just like the super awful... Oh, he's great in Rob Roy. Yeah. The fact that he didn't win like Best Supporting Actor was like, a real kind of rip he was ro- that year. He was robbed. He was robbed. Oh, robbed royally. He was robbed Roy. Um... And Helen Mirren plays his wife, who has tried to get away several times and hasn't been able to do it, um, and starts an affair with a bookshop owner, Michael, mm. by the way, it's mm. Michael, who winds up uh, getting uh, murdered by Albert's goons, Albert and his goons, uh, by stuffing pages from his books in his mouth till he chokes to death. Sweet irony. So there's, there's, active, some revenge. there's active revenge part one. Active revenge part two is when... Uh, Georgina, uh, Helen Mirren's character, finds out about this. She basically begs and pleads with the cook at the restaurant until he agrees to cook Michael's body. Mm. Um, They get the gangster uh, Albert Spica um, in there, in the restaurant, surrounded by all these people who he had wronged over the years. And she makes him at gunpoint... Um, eat a part of Michael's body. Wow. That's a revenge actually served hot. Mm-hmm. Literally mm-hmm. served hot. And then she shoots him in the head and calls him a cannibal. It w- The part the next day where they have to make cold Michael sandwiches, that's the cold part. <laughs> yeah, that's They true. sit there and they just <laughs> a little cold. jelly on the side yeah. too and they're just like, oh. Well, we got all this, Michael. Can't waste it. Can't waste you know, it. Use one of the bone for soup. And Look, I, I got a, sure we... a paper plate with saran wrap here. Take it with you. <laughs> I am so full of Michael. <laughs> no, at this take point. it. I, Could you just? Jeff, we're I, just gonna throw it out. Uh, I wish I could. Oh. Okay, okay. Oh. Make okay. a little. Make a little plate. Okay. All right, I'm gonna give it to you in Tupperware, but I want the Tupperware back. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, it's a weird movie, as you can tell. It's also a very beautiful movie. Uh, Peter Greenaway, the director. Um, a lot of his sort of way the shots are staged have a lot are influenced by like Flemish artwork and that kind of that era of art. So it's a very beautiful movie to look at. And that's pretty much the ultimate revenge, mm. making someone eat another person. Mm-hmm. That's about as a, now, that's pretty hardcore. He seems like a bastard though and might kind of enjoy eating. He did not. He did not. Okay. He threw up. Okay. Okay. I, I believe he may have. She may have forced him to eat his penis. Oh wow! I okay. haven't seen it in a few years, but I believe someone 
one of our listeners who's seen this more recently than me, and I hope there is one, please, please check okay. me on this. Okay. Uh, Michael, your third. Uh, my third is also a movie, and it is uh, A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, good. And this is this is this was honestly the the word revenge when um, the Michael Palin character of uh, Ken is running over Otto who's stuck in cement and a steamroller and he's just saying revenge. (laughs) It is just a pure moment of just revenge and joy. Uh, So in the movie itself, um, Ken and Otto, uh, Otto is played by Kevin Kline and Ken is played by um, Michael Palin are part of like this um, kind of criminal group and they steal some jewels and uh, the jewels are hidden in a safe deposit box and the key is given to Ken and he ultimately hides it in a fish tank filled with a bunch of fish. Now, Ken, apart from being a criminal, is an animal lover. He doesn't want, he's a vegetarian. He doesn't want to eat animals. He doesn't want to harm them. And at some point, uh, Otto discovers that Ken might know where this key is. He kind of turns his back on, like he has this whole other plan to steal the jewels from the people that just stole the jewels that he was a part of. And so he discovers that Ken knows where the key is and he ties him up. And this incredible scene of Kevin Klein eating these small tropical fish in front <laughs> yeah. of Michael Palin's character, uh, who's just like losing his mind. He's so angry and appalled and he has, uh, some french fries chips stuffed up his nose and he can't like what are you gonna do ken the other thing about ken too is that he has a stutter and it's just it's so painful to watch he is such a sympathetic character and to see kevin klein be utterly yeah accidentally but to, to see him be so utterly cruel to this person who is a criminal but ultimately you know he's seemingly a nice guy yeah uh and for at the end of the movie, and in a ridiculous way, uh, they're at the airport, and of course, concrete's being laid. Who knows? And Otto steps in it, and then Ken, out of nowhere, has a steamroller. Yeah. And it's just driving over. He's just going to get his revenge. <laughs> and he, he literally just runs him over, and that cures him of his stutter. Yeah. <laughs> it is so, it's so nonsensical, and it's, you know, it's very Monty Python-esque in just that the character studies themselves. But, like, it's so... Mm-hmm. It is it is the purest, most happiest revenge I've ever seen. Yeah. Ultimately, I guess Otto survives being run over, kind of. Because might. it's soft cement. It's soft cement. That's so right. It's okay. But I I just love when I was thinking when I thought of this category, I thought of what is the most what is the happiest revenge I've ever seen, and it's it's this. It's one that brings that brings joy to the person. Mm-hmm. Um. And you don't see that a lot. These are off, you know, most revenge stories are kind of like these years of studying, years of building something up and enacting a plan. This is just like, oh, I'm just going to just gonna run you over with a steam. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, Richard, you're fourth. All right. So my fourth one is um, Pierre Picot. And um, I will tell you his life story. Although if you've read the book. Oh, we've heard the songs about this man. I will tell you about The children sing his life. They, 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 t- they tell of him. Um, I will tell you his story. Um, although if you have ever read the book, The Count of Monte Cristo, you've essentially oh. heard his life story because... They made a book of that. Yeah, they did. Um, Alexander Dumas 
it turns out, maybe did not uh, invent uh, the Count oh, of Monte Cristo really? out of whole cloth. This oh. was an actual life story that mm-hmm. he sort of, in some ways, pretty uh, blatantly just kind of took the main points out of and mm-hmm. turned it into a novel. So he was basically a... Plagiarist. A, non, a hack. One of those like non-fiction... Like, like, oh, yeah. Those true crime authors yeah. that your mom reads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's mom reads. Um, so Pierre... Um, was a get my notes. How do you say his Picaud, P-I-C-A-U-D. Okay. Um, so he was a, a shoemaker who would, was engaged to a wealthy woman and got his three friends very jealous about this. So they conspired to um, accuse him of being a spy for England. And he wound up spending seven years in prison because of this. Um, while he was in prison, he befriended an elderly Italian priest who, right before he died, told uh, Pierre, oh, I have this like treasure that's hidden in Milan, and if you ever get out, you're welcome to get it. <laughs> so he gets out in... 18- As you do. You As know. one does. So he gets out in 1814 when the French government falls, and so like the prisons just get sort of, they, hey, everyone, free to go, but there's no more government. I guess you're free to go. Um... And he goes to Milan and collects this treasure, now is a very rich person, and comes back to uh, France and starts exacting his revenge on his uh, people oh, I love who put it. him in jail. Um, very much like uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. It's pretty much, this, pretty much the exact same plot up to mm-hmm. this point. Um, he murdered one of them. He tracked down a second one and poisoned him to death. Uh, the third one, who had, I think, married his fiancée, uh, he tricked his daughter into marrying a criminal and then made sure the guy got arrested. And so the daughter wound up dying of a nervous breakdown. Um, he burned down the restaurant that the guy owned and um, also set up uh, his son to e- either convince him to rob something or set him up in a robbery. It's a little unclear. But either way, the kid got arrested for robbery and put in prison. Wow. And then he murdered the guy. Wow. So then it turns out that he wound up getting murdered by uh, this fourth person who was an accomplice who didn't actually do anything but knew about the plot but didn't mm-hmm. tell him about it. Mm. And so this guy winds up murdering Picot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily a happy ending for him. Yeah. That's the one thing that, uh, that, that Dumas sort of changed is he has his protagonist riding off, literally sailing off into the sunset yeah. after this is done. And in real life, he got murdered. So sometimes, sometimes revenge doesn't work out so well. Wow, a lot of these revenge stories, in real life, revenge stories don't have like a great ending, because I think revenge is something we all desire, but ultimately is a dark thing. And ultimately, it seems like the universe ultimately comes comes back to get you in some way or another. You, yeah. you it's hard to survive revenge because you, the things that you enact, ultimately end up redoubling back or. Mm-hmm. Someone wants the revenge on your revenge. Yeah. It's double revenge. That's, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. there's things that when you set a revenge plot in place, it has repercussions. And the unnamed fourth person in this story right. is like a, a nobody that ends up like, well, he's, he turned him in and yeah. he, he figured out how to benefit from it. He didn't really have anything to do with it other than he happened to be there. Right. You think it's rare that the inception that the first blow is truly 
the the revenge stories are often told by the innocent person, just like Morgan Freeman talking about the prison where everybody in there is innocent. But that's that person's judgment. They, they have the, the introspection illusion where they cannot know or they hide the fault that they have, the stone that they cast first. Mm. Do you think in some of these cases that these, these individuals were not, maybe not in the fish called Wanda, but that... I mean, he, yeah. him too, he was a criminal... Yeah, he was still a criminal. He was still a criminal. He still stole things. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I'm interested in. Like, could Pierre Picot have actually wronged these guys in some way? Yeah, right. Was there there some sort of, like, like, like story that we don't know about? Yeah. You know what I think is... Shouldn't have bragged about his wife so so much. Exactly. She's not that rich, guys. (laughs) She's actually kind of poor. Uh, What do you got for the final one, Michael? My last one also kind of draws from The Count of Monte Cristo a little bit. Oh, really? It's the 1950s a book called The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester. And it's science fiction, and in it, it's a story of this guy, Gully Foyle, who uh, is kind of like a journeyman on like a space cruiser, or like on a, on a working spaceship that apparently is attacked and kind of left to drift in space. And it's, the ship itself is part of like this big company called Prestigen, and he manages to survive. He's not, not a particularly smart or, like, motivated person. He's kind of dumb. Why are you looking at me? He's not Richard. He's not a smart, yeah, educated, or dumb. Why is Richard looking at me? <laughs> but he's, Why is my finger in my nose? He managed to sur- survive a drift in space for six months, and then a ship comes along. And it's like, oh, this person, he starts sending out the distress calls, sends up the flares, and all the, the lights go off ship sails right past oh and he recognizes it as a ship that belongs to the same company so at that point he starts to swear his revenge and the story is about this one man's burning desire to destroy the Presigen company and the people that own it it's a future there there's so many things that are going on in this book he ends up getting captured having his face tattooed having the tattoos removed but the anger that he fear that he feels reveals itself in like these hot burning tiger stripes on his face um it's a future in which jaunting like personal teleportation is a thing so you Mm. can you know teleport 100 miles away a thousand miles away depending on how talented you are in this so there's this culture has turned ultimately very Victorian in terms of the people that are in power. Mm -hmm. They travel by cars and have mazes. They travel Mm -hmm. by trains rather than jaunting because they're too rich. Okay. Anybody can teleport. But the story is this person who finds his way into getting money, who changes his entire lifestyle, who transforms himself into a person that is of like a nouveau rich Arist- like he's got this he's this new money guy it's like a Gatsby yes oh okay as part of his huge plan to get his revenge against this one family mm-hmm. and it's just this amazing sprawling epic that a lot in, a lot in terms of like Count of Monte Cristo who's captured and eventually goes off to come back has all this money to get his revenge um, but it's just uh, he wrote a f- number of books uh, and they're all just incredible i can't remember the name of the other one 
Um, was it Garfield Pigs Out? Garfield Goes Hawaiian <laughs> yes. was the other one that he wrote. Uh, the Demolished Man, another another book of his. And actually... Um, Mad Goes to the Movies. Yes. <laughs> but uh, Pick It, I mean, it is fascinating. It, like As a revenge plot, it involves a lot more, but it's just so deep. And this person is a vile person throughout the book. Mm-hmm. He is not like a good oh, guy. Oh, Guilfoyle. Guilfoyle. Yeah, is, he, oh. is, he is not a good guy that gets his revenge. He is a bad uh-huh. person. He oh. rapes people along the way and oh. transforms himself into... But he's ultimately still built solely on revenge. Mm-hmm. And hmm. uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I was thought of the kind of Monte Cristo, but then this one came into mind. I was like, oh, this is a newer, spacier science fiction. It's version. amazing that these characters don't like get really rich and then just stop. Yeah. No, there's my revenge. Yeah. I got a lot of money. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the living well guy. Right. You can live well. It's not as satisfying. You can be out there eating your cheese and your wine. Right. But deep in your soul, if you're built on revenge, you, you got to do more. You got to take somebody down. Exactly. You know what I think is great about these choices is they, one, they, they reveal a lot about you guys individually. I felt like, and this has happened before, and I think it's in broad strokes, where Richard, you... Uh, talk about revenge versus an institution, and Michael versus talk, is talking about most of his choices about like revenge of a person over another another person, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and also, all f- eight of these choices were narrated by Morgan Freeman. Isn't that weird? That no, all that's of, about yeah. right. No, that's about right. Yeah, it's not weird. That's about right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump. Right. Can we get him to narrate this podcast? It would improve things. Oh, God. The ratings would go up. Okay. So I'm just going to grab some ones that I found were interesting. Um, the uh, Sons of Maxwell. Very, very compelling story. And then Michael's going to get the next two. Lorena Bobbitt and Fish Called Wanda. And then Richard's going to get the fourth. The Pierre Procode Count of Monte Cristo. So that's a five and five? Michael? Yeah. yeah. Our official scorekeeper. Yeah. Ty. It's Ty. It's like kissing your sister. Okay. I will get my revenge on <laughs> my sister. <laughs> Ooh, a little this unclear. Got, this has got so creepy. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Mount Rushmore podcast. Our next episode, the Mount Rushmore of shitty things about the Beatles. Sure to be controversial. Sure to be upbeat. Upbeat. As usual. Upbeat. Upbeat. Exactly. So tune in for that one. All right. Uh, this is being the Mount Rushmore podcast. I, as always, am Jeff. I am Richard. I'm Michael. What'd you say? I'm going to get you for that. I'm going to get you for that. I can't even act off.